Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio and I'm recording this actually a day early. It'll be released the same day. Don't don't get too excited. I might release it earlier because like it'll be it'll have existed for longer than like an hour before I release it. But um this is Lunchbox Radio and I want to implore you at this point to listen to the Sunday edition all about live action adaptations and stuff that will be in the feed right before this podcast if you're a regular listener or if you just want to like keep the continuity going because what we're talking about this episode is well it's the live action cowboy bebop Now, for those of you who did not heed my advice and listen to the um, We'll Do It Live Sunday edition that came out literally right before this in the podcast feed, um, I kind of took you, took you, the listener, on a brief like run through different variations of just live live action adaptations everything from like um i basically did everything for radio dramas <laughs> um i i even did stage plays of which there's way more stage plays about like modeled after anime properties than you probably expect if you're not paying attention but in that i mentioned probably about six movies Total, maybe seven if you count that Edge of Tomorrow movie, which was based off of a manga. The one with um, the live, die, repeat one from um, with uh, Tom Cruise in it. That's actually based off of a manga called All You Need Is Kill. Um, like, like in a way, where like they were doing it, they were talking about it in the press, in like the press junkets and stuff. It was, it was strange. Um, but the. Long and short of it is, Cowboy Bebop has been out has been out since the nineteenth. If you haven't, you know, gone and go, gone and pumped it into your eye holes, which is what I would describe the um, experience of watching this is pumping it into your eye holes. And I'll get to why in a second. But the first thing I want to bring up is, hey, don't don't be a jerk. Don't don't spoil this for people. Don't like like this. Something I'll get to later, but I'll bring up here just for the like, just for the point I want to make is this is very much in the content mill concept of entertainment. This show, and it, it was 
uh, just like everything is. Like, it's another piece of quote-unquote content you can consume. But that doesn't mean that people won't find some kind of value in it and people don't have the right to enjoy it, even if you don't. And you shouldn't just, like, be a be a better internet person and, like, don't drag people through the mud if they like this thing. Don't, like, intentionally try and spoil the shit out of people because you believe that there's nothing there. Because, and I'll get to this um, a little later on, there is stuff here of value. Even if, you, even if you'll, even if the sum of the parts are not, are not greater than the whole, then there's still stuff, there's still good stuff in this thing. But let's, and I've thought a bit about how, like, where I want to start here. Let's start with the kind of Herculean task they had here. First off, you, when Cowboy Bebop came out in the very late 80s, 90s kind of range of year, it was much more normal to have a serialized show and have a have a a, a serialized show, but also a show that ran for a full season. And like this season, the seasonal structure had not like fallen away in a way that it kind of that it definitely still had it in the concept of anime, but had in the concept of most of the other TV we watch. And you see that you see Netflix especially messing with this all the time. They'll put out something, they put out a Castlevania season that was four episodes. And yes, it was like an hour an episode, but it's still, that, four episodes did not a season make. Even if you make them an hour and a half long. And the, probably the places where you see the concept of like, concrete, terrestrial, normal, seasonal television come up the most these days are, like, and I'm not saying that there's not premium stuff on Netflix. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, like, more premium subscriptions like Crunchyroll, like Apple, like Apple TV+, Plus, like HBO. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you go, when you watch, say, Secession on HBO, you are watching, like, uh, at, the, at the minimum, at the minimum, nine-episode show. If you watch, um, if you watch, um, what's it called? Oh, crap. What's the name of it? Um, the, the, uh, Foundation on, um, Apple TV+. Plus. That is, I believe that has, like, a ten- that has a 10 episode thing to it too. There's no like eights, there's no nines, there's no, there's no, there's no eights, there's no like sevens or sixes, there's certainly no threes in terms of like what amount of episodes constitutes a show. And part of the reason why you get that on a more premium streaming channel is because those people know you're paying, you like, you went out of your way to pay for this stuff. It's not, it's not just an automatic subscription in the way that, like, Hulu gets to be thought of, in the way that Netflix gets to be thought of. And really, Hulu and Netflix are kind of the two default, or the two sides of the default coin of the streaming world, still, um, in my opinion, at least. So, you have this show... That is from a time period in which it's not that people had longer attention spans; it's that there was there was less to demand their attention. I want I want you to be I want to be very clear about that. When people say like oh like kids these days like people these days have no attention span; they're like little flies buzzing around; and they never pay attention to anything. That's not the thing. The thing is. Is that when there's more asking for your attention, it, you want something that will make it worth your time to watch it. I've had for a bunch of years now this very real, 
um, like relationship with stuff I watch of like I'm gonna sit here and something's gonna play, but it's that thing's job to really make me watch it, to make me engage with it, because if it's not asking me to do that, what? Why should I care? Like if it doesn't care about the, if it doesn't care about the framing and the whole nine yards of it enough to make me like stop whatever I stop the drawing I'm doing and stare at it, <laughs> then it's not. It, it it may not survive my memory past its watching. That's one of the reasons why I like um why I like lots of the shows I like is because it, they are things that defy me doing other things. Like for example, um that that awful show, the show with a kid with the sweater vest, it's 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 real bad. I I um, oh man, I forget, I, I talked about it with, um, with somebody who I had on the Sunday edition. Um, I talked about it with, uh, Cosplay Fiend on the Sunday edition, and I can't remember that show. It's so bad. It's stunningly bad. It, but it's also not bad enough for, A, for me to remember the name, um, but B, f- to, like, demand my attention all the way through. I dropped that show, show I dropped that show two episodes before it's at the end, the quote unquote end of it, I was like, I don't care about this. Just don't care about this. Doesn't doesn't need my doesn't need my brain power enough to for me to finish it. Um, and so you're competing with an with an old property that, while renowned, is from a different is from a different media landscape. And in many ways, it's starting, like, the people who loved it are starting to make other things, and they're trying, and while you think they would try, you don't really see many people trying to bring, like, Cowboy Bebop's influence out into the world. The most prominent thing, one of the most prominent things I can think of, although I'm sure there are more, is, um, Cannon Busters. And especially Billy the Kid's look in Cannon Busters. And it's like, he has a whole kind of slight Spike Spiegelness going to him in a way that is a very old school anime protagonist. Very like lackadaisical anime protagonist. In a way that feels like it harkens back very much to a Spike Spiegel. Maybe a little bit of a Vasha Stampede kind of feel. And one of the things that made the original Cowboy Bebop so unique in the in the field in the field of its contemporaries is that it was it was quiet where it didn't need to be. It was thoughtful. It was it could it had those jokey moments, but the, the jokey moments didn't feel so over the top that a human wouldn't do them. There's a scene when um, they're in a casino. And actually, they're in a casino that's probably the casino that's referenced in the very first episode of the live action. By the way, spoiler for all ten episodes of this bad boy. I like, I have to talk about this. It, it has possessed my brain since yesterday night when I friggin' finished the show. <laughs> Um, yesterday night at the time of recording this, the time you're hearing this, it will be like Tuesday night I finished it. Um, but the, the, they start off, they start off the show in this casino that's very clearly a, um, a reference to the casinos they use in the, um, I forgot what episode it is, but the episode where Faye tries to like, takes the la- this last chip from this guy who looks like Spike, who's wearing Spike's suit, but isn't Spike. And the result is... And, and they're, in this, they're in this casino. They're in this, like, big, fancy space casino. And Jet's like, ah, there's no smoking here. And Spike straight up swallows his cigarette. Which people have done. Like, people do that. <laughs> it's psychotic, but people do that. And 
that kind of like humanity, that kind of like jokiness, but like still within the confines of like not everybody the five star fucking comedy act makes it very makes it a very human show and the fact that like all the characters in it have not a kind of damage that like you or I couldn't have so I'll give you a perfect example of like the kind of like anime damage that is commonplace in shows in anime in general um if you watch it if you've ever seen a show called S Cried S Cried is about like a a specific like a kind of love a kind of like love slash friendship triangle that has to do with like childhood friends and people turn into mutants after they were encountered by the main by the main like romantic female lead and they have all these they have all these built up issues over time that they and they never talk directly to each other much about anything right up until the very end and it just it the whole show has this kind of wrapped in trauma feel that like you or I would probably not experience but you know the kind of trauma on display generally in cowboy bebop is a problem of time has passed it's not entirely this like big deal nightmare thing and it's not transformed into a completely understandable analyzable from all angles um kind of tv trauma for tv maybe with the exception of the original show of the fact that faye valentine that faye valentine was um a that's not even her real name i don't think in the original show. Um, actually, I think it is explicitly her real name. Um, but it, she wasn't even, she, she was cryogenically frozen, cured, and then woken up like, like 115 years in the future. (laughs) And the, so you have this, like, you have all these characters who have all this trauma that is just, Stuff that comes with time going going on into the... Stuff that comes with living your life. In whatever way you ended up living your life. And it feels so authentically like that. That the show doesn't feel the need... Or really desire to explain all of it. It gives you just enough for you to understand the shape of each character's, like, hang-ups and each character's issues from their path, but not enough where it's an open book that you can flip through at your leisure. And so, what I just described in terms of the original Cowboy Bebop gives you an idea of... Plus, it's super episodic. It's super inspired by, like, French noir, samurai westerns, every... All these very unique, but still, like, hang, would hang together on a wall in a gallery kind of genres of film, of, of Western film. And then sci-fi elements, mostly because that was the directive that um, Shinichiro Watanabe and his team were given at the outset from Sunrise, because Sunrise wanted to sell spaceships. And Shinichiro Wananami was like, I'll make you some spaceships. And so, what you ended up with at that time was a very much of an underdog series that was never, that was never a bad show. I want to be clear, like, it was never, like, in its conception a bad show, but it was very much not the thing that the studio signed up to have made. And it's better for it, obviously. But that's a very different way of making a show, and that's a very different thought process of making a show than if you are adapting a show or adapting a property, since this is really about adapting a whole property, um, which I'll get to later. 
Um, that is a kind of industry state. That's kind of an industry standard. It is a staple of anime fandom around the world, and it had it has a kind of it has this sought afterness to it now. When Cowboy Bebop first came out, it did very badly. <laughs> it did it did not do well until it started airing in America and America had the film make uh, American audiences probably had more of the film making a film familiarity is really what I want to say to see in it what its creators wanted seen in a very clear and concise way. I'm not saying that didn't happen in Japan. I'm not attempting to say that, but I'm saying that the kinds of influences that that Cowboy Bebop was working with and playing with and still is in the live action were more were more of a default for a American media fan. And so American media fans were more poised to pick up and run with it. To this day, if you're watching Cowboy Bebop, oftentimes even Japanese audiences will say this, you kind of want to watch the American dub. And the reason you want to watch the American dub is because you have a, a phenomenal voice cast, but you also have a, like a cast that feels like it grew up in the kind of like it watching the kind of like noir and western and like old school Hong Kong action movies that Cowboy Bebop is pulling from and more. Now here's why I want to start talking explicitly about the um about the about the adaptation. So I want to start here with the opening of the thing and not the not the like not shot for shot but close but like highly influenced opening i want to actually start with the first scene of the first episode where you see spike and jet dealing with this like big floating casino that's being robbed and this is it's certainly not a shot for shot scenario but it's a very it's very inspired and very reminiscent of the opening to knocking on heaven's door and i found out via a verge article that it's not super easy to watch knocking on heaven's door unless you have like a physical copy which i have <laughs> which i find wild honestly it's actually pretty cheap all considering if you're not trying to go for the steel book you can get it for like 17 bucks blu-ray off of um off of amazon i think that's a pretty fair price for it but the i have an old dvd from when it was first released on video i thought in theater but when it was first released on video i have an old dvd um but the This gives you an idea that they're not they're not limiting themselves to the show. And based on the fact that they've got 26 episodes of show and 10 episodes of live action of animated and 10 episodes of live action we kind of understand what a little bit of what will be in for here. Based on the fact that the opening is a very much a nod to the movie, not right down to what are you? Just a humble just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am. Um last scene last voice line uttered by Spike in that in that show. But what the what that kind of amounts to is amounts to uh, over time what that kind of amounts to is it amounts to two really important things. The the two things that I think ended up really being the death nail 
the, the like twin death nails of of this show's like ability to achieve a kind of quality that it otherwise could have. First off, everybody always wants to believe that what they want out of a live action adaptation of a show of of, of their favorite anime is something kind of akin to the live action speed racer from a I think like like 2001 early 2000s maybe 2001 2002 kind of era of the Wachowskis and what I would argue is that you actually probably want more of something like a Jupiter ascending from the Wachowskis and you're like Alex that doesn't that doesn't fit that's not that their own weird thing if you look at that movie, they made their own anime franchise out of Jupiter Ascending. I'm not even kidding. They, I've said many times, they made that movie because they wanted the space DMV to exist. And it, their love for it and their styling and their, like, the feel they created with that movie feels like it could be something like um, a fifth element or something like that. And I want to demonstrate this point by using actually Blade Runner. Currently Blade Runner Black Lotus is Black Lotus is running. I haven't kept up with it because they forgot to subtitle a line in the first episode. And I'm like still like. Do I really want to take the risk that they'll forget half the episode? Um, but one of the reasons why Blade Runner works going the other direction constantly, like the stuff that happens, the stuff that people complain about for the Blade Runner Black Lotus stuff is not the plot. The plot is not what they're worried about. It's the look, it's the look of the thing, really, that people pick, pick fights with. Is that they are capturing the feel and the intention of Blade Runner and they're doing their own thing with it. What what the cow with the what the live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop is not doing so far. It's not doing enough of so far is what the ghost in the shell adaptation didn't do well enough. It's that it's not it's not it's not making it's not using those characters and telling us and telling a story. It's using those characters to wink and nod at the audience constantly. And not offering much of value in in the connective tissue of it, and it's, you watch the you watch these ten episodes and you feel like oh these are the iconic characters from this show these are the iconic episodes from this show like they're going through it and they're plotting and they're plotting and they're plotting, and I've listened to the um anime roundtable the Canadian podcast I listened to the recent Space Heater chat actually today before recording this and they were saying like yeah well the Ein episode is really early and it's um it's mostly original and to which I would say yes but it does it still doesn't feel good it still doesn't yes the Ein episode is mostly original but the original parts you got are them fighting on a roof <laughs> In front of a sign that just says porn in like bad magazine cutout letters. And that, the, there's a thing that this could never be. And that is as good as the original. And the reason for that is because with the Wachowskis are very clearly like all about the maximum amount of control over their sets, over their storytelling, over everything. Very many directors probably give much more room 
of movement and of interpretation to everyone involved. So whereas, you know, Wanabe would just make that a streamlined thing and because he's the director, he could exert way more control over the look and feel of the thing. The director may have said, you know, put your own spin on it. Like, we, I've decided it's going to happen here. How are we going to add a little pizang here? And stuff the bad neon porn sign that is never acknowledged. That would have been a f- hilarious thing if John Cho walked up and he was like, the, who's, who's watching porn up here? And that combined with the, like, the oddity of the American and, most likely, the Japanese actor to resist the kind of, like, urge to Nicolas Cage mega-act through the original thing, but there is some mega-acting happening... There's not tons of, like, Nicolas Cage-style mega-acting happening through the um, live-action Cowboy Bebop, but there's enough where the characters feel, in some cases, to be noticeably different, to be noticeably more exposed than they would be, and no, but also not be given enough material to, at all times, like makes their own thing out of it. Like, but it's very clear that John Cho was taking, like, as much rope as he could to get to the version of Spike Spiegel he wanted. And it was very clear that he picked parts of, um, most likely Steve Bloom's portrayal of Spike Spiegel that he wanted to expand on and change slightly and make his own character and you should always encourage a character to do that but then you get into Jet and you get into Faye and the the beautiful thing about all three of the characters we'll get to we'll get to Ayn and Ed in a second I promise um is that you want is that when they when when the three main characters were presented in the original show, when they showed a kind of like emotionality, a like caring for each other, it was it weighed more because it was not something that was so on the surface and pronounced. They felt much more like professional roommates than a found family. And yes, you know, anime fandom will always read into that kind of thing and always be like, oh, well, they really love each other and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is that that was almost rarely given to you in the te- in the actual text of the thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, live action needs to be super slavish to the text, but it feels... But you should at least strongly consider it because that that text somehow holds the kind of core of not just the the adaptation that you're adapting from but the but the property and if you go over to the um to the cowboy bebop movie or the three volumes of the cowboy bebop manga which if you're like through the manga I'm like yeah the manga it's not i don't think it's penned by wanabe and I think it's it's illustrated by somebody you wouldn't expect, but the three-volume original manga, that spirit of that thing is always there. It is always, it, like, that that core, like, three or four character, like, connection is always there in that way. And they have little moments where you are given more to work with as a viewer, like when, uh, in the movie, when Jet asked um, Faye, like, how'd you find him? And if, and Ed pipes in, like, we hacked the card, we hacked the card company, says that, like, 
Faye and Ed, like, work together on this. And they, like, they have actual fucking conversations. And all of this stuff is, like, slowly given to you in a way that feels natural and feels, like, doesn't feel like anybody's sitting you down and saying, like, okay, Faye and Spike have, like, a brother-sisterly relationship. They all have a, like, fatherly relationship slightly with Jet, but they're not explaining any of this to you. They're letting it exist naturally in a way that doesn't, that doesn't weigh you down with being the viewer. That makes any sense. And because, like I said, anime, anime fandom is the way anime fandom is, that can be run away with a lot. And between the, like, odd, the odd character choices of the, of the, of the live action and between the, the, like, compressing and, like, reworking of the story in a way that doesn't really, that doesn't promote the same kind of feeling that makes, that gives Cowboy Bebop that, like, lofty, like, praiseworthiness makes it feel so, makes it feel like a different thing, but not like a thing that is earning its respect on its own merit. Does that make any sense? And I, I'm, I'm trying to be fairly level-handed, and I do think that this show does a pretty fair amount right and does and like if you were to sit down you were to look at the you were to look at the board of like live of American live action anime um adaptations I think it's picking the right it's picking the right things it's just not something's just not connecting together enough so on that note I I think a, I think that um, the character Vicious is like I think they could have had that actor lose some lose some poundage, lose some serious poundage. And we all would have like seen Vicious in him more. Because the thing about Vicious as a character is that he's really gaunt and like the, like, mass of him is mostly closing and that giant goddamn bird that they couldn't... That they would have to CGI in, which I understand you just don't have money for a CGI bird. And they make reference to it on the belt buckle, but it makes little sense. And... Then there's the issue of... Um, and I'm going to go down the characters and just give you some, like, slight points of, like, ah, not sure this works. Then there's the issue of Julia. In the show, Julia comes into play really late. And by the way, spoilers for actual Cowboy Bebop, even though it's like 23 years old now. Um, it, the actual character of Julia shows up really late. And she's revealed to be far different, but also not that different from her, like, from the musings that you'd heard from Spike. Up until that point. You've heard the scene revolving around Spike up until that point. She's not this like sweet mob girl love thing. She's a badass. And she's like. And like she may feel for Spike. But it's also been years. And she's a different person. And she clearly lived a different life. There's no, and the, the key point is there's no connection at that moment between her or Vicious. And like in the show, her and Vicious, um, Vicious and Spike both had, like, eyes on her and eyes for her. And it's very clear that there was a bad love, tri there was a love triangle that went bad. But what's also true is that Spike just straight up left. Like, he... It, it's not assumed he's dead. His name was not Fearless. It was just always Spike. I, 
but it's also not assumed that Vicious was in great shape. And just like everybody like walked away from the conflict, basically. And the conflict reignited and here we all fucking are. But nothing is explained in that. It's all its own slightly muddy thing, the way it would be in real life. It, the original show, unlike the... The original show treats you like an adult at all times. The only time it's really guiding you through what the fuck happened is when... Faye needs to be taken by the hand... And you need to see, whoa, Faye was super sick and was put in cryosleep and now she's fine, but also everybody she ever knew was dead. It dead. And the that is institute that is instigated by the character of Faye. And they do do a pretty good job of that of that backstory of unpacking that in the live action here. Faye's character is its own thing, but, and I'll talk about her here. Tons of, I'm going to call them neckbeards on the internet, will take a problem with the rat, with the costume changes and with the, like, with the changes they've made to Faye in this adaptation. I don't... I don't have a problem necessarily with the way they've handled Faye. I think the costume is a smart costume. It's it's referential to her original color palette and like the original costume, but it's not this like it's not this like nighty, this like half nighty, half like booty shorts situation with a sweater wrapped around your elbows that, like, very clearly is not a thing that a human can run around in. And Faye as a character design is this, like, icon of what Wanabi was trying to achieve in that show. She is very much the, like, badass bitch from a noir movie with a machine gun character. But, like, this... The trick that they do in the original is they give you that and then you spend just enough time with her and you realize she has no idea what the fuck she's doing. And in this show, and in here, they do that pretty well. The thing I will say that I, I just didn't like is she has like a... And this is tough because I think this has happened since this movie has come out and since this property has been really big um and by that by the prop the property i'm talking about is got pilgrim she feels like ramona flowers but like less competent <laughs> clearly and she she like curses all the time she freaks out at stuff um the show the the live action adaptation in the form of ein gives her stuff to freak out about that it just didn't it didn't need to do that. And the the way they get Ayn is pretty it's pretty innocuous. It's pretty just like they, they could have done it better or they could have done it worse. And like training that many animals. It, it, it's like an ocean problem. Like we can't train a we can train can't train a cat to hoist itself up in a basket that fast, boss. Like you you that would have been a lot. Like the 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 stray dog strut episode of Cowboy Bebop would have been a nightmare to manage. <laughs> Just a nightmare. And the like the they have very specific characters that um that clearly represent the like the black dynamite reference, the black dynamite influence of Cowboy Bebop. But the thing you really catch on to pretty quickly in this show is 
Toshiro Watanabe and everybody working with him clearly took in all of the different references from all over from all over cinema and all over entertainment, but the Cowboy Bebop adaptation took in Cowboy Bebop. And so it doesn't have like it's not it's meaningfully pulling the parts from Cowboy Bebop and it's playing telephone with the references that it's pulling apart and and like scattering throughout the show. A perfect example of this is the uh, Sad Clown at Go-Go episode. Fuck, that's the name. Which is the um, Pierre Le, the Pierre LeFou episode. Now, it, the Pierre LeFou episode is like stunningly weird enough where people will probably well some people will probably know it without having seen the rest of Cowboy Bebop. It's like. An episode you wake up to in the middle of the night. And you're like, oh, fuck, what's happening? And the thing that makes that episode really work, the thing that holds that thing together, is it has no context. It's a... It's like an encounter Spike has and then feels he has to finish. And in the context of the Pierre LeFou episode... If they do sad clown and go sad clown and go go in the live action version, it's set up as that character as Pierre LeFou is sent after Spike by Vicious, which had nothing to do with anything in um, the original show. In the original show, in the original show, Pierre LeFou just showed the fuck up and fucked up Spike's day, and Spike's like that shouldn't be allowed to be alive. And then goes and kills it. And. That kind of like. This kind of like. Misconstruing of the spirit. Of the property. Is really what. At it's core. Is really what's causing. Probably a lot of people not to like this show. And it's what causes. A lot of people not to like. Um. A lot of adaptations of anime into live action, and probably why the um, the the uh, the that Tom Cruise movie I mentioned, the um, the Edge of Tomorrow movie, went off without a hitch because they managed to do what tons of other movies don't really do when they adapt things. They like got that core of it and they said we're holding on to this for dear life this is the important part if we don't get this right nothing else matters and if you look at something like um like a huge franchise like let's take black panther for example they got the core of that right and they matched it up with like a moment, the like the moment in time that it came out, that they were able to like knock that thing out of the park. A big problem with adaptations, a big problem with the Cowboy Bebop adaptation, is that they are producing, they're producing something in the way that you produce content, that you produce, that you adapt something for the sake of content. And another, another different but similar version of this is the original Sailor Moon, the deep dub, the, the deep, I think it's called the deep dub, or the deep dub. And the adaptation is most recent, the Sailor Moon Crystal version. Sailor Moon Crystal is technically more aligned with the property itself. But between the way they made it and like the like plottingness of it, it just doesn't capture the same like spirit that, you know, girls and kids in general grew up with Sailor Moon with and it doesn't feel as good to watch. 
until like until like season three or something. And the result is people generally don't like that thing, even though it's more accurate. And that's with an accuracy problem. The big problems that Cowboy Bebop has are similar to the big problem that the Ghost in the Shell live action had. It's not about casting. It's not about changing around outfits. So they're not as provocative. It's not about any of that shit. That shit doesn't... That shit... They could have put... They could have put Faye in a 1920s fucking school bus yellow flowy pantsuit. And if they had gotten the spirit of the character right, if she had felt less like a manic pixie dream asshole and more like the way Faye Valentine feels... Then no one would really complain. Like people would be like, "Ah, no, oh, well, this this works too. This works too. This is my new kink." And if you had combined, the, if you've done something like that, and you'd adapted, and you'd really adapted it, and you'd taken big swings with, like, while controlling that core of the thing, you would get something closer to Alita than you get than something closer to um what's it called? The Ghost in the Shell live action. The reason why Alita works and is everything perfect about Alita? No. And yes it's got like billions more dollars in its budget than the Cowboy Bebop thing was probably ever going to have, honestly. But the reason why Alita works because James Cameron like slaved over that thing for decades and like found the right people and like you know like held on to the dream until it could be made right and like found people who would help him make it so it had that core that was totally intact and totally perfect and then he could take it and run and then it could be taken and run with. And that's, what, that's how you get Alita. The Ghost in the Shell live action um, was essentially much like a lot of this was a clip show. Only they didn't give quite enough thought or consideration to the stuff that wasn't a clip show. And it's... So the last thing I want to talk about here is, um, because we're coming up on an hour, is the is the perfect is the perfect kind of crystallization of this. And to be clear, I think that you, if you have any interest in this show, you should go and you have Netflix, go watch it. Make up your own mind. I'm just telling you what I encountered in my soul while I watched this thing. They make Jet into a divorced dad. Spoiler alert, I guess. Um, I said spoiler alert a bunch of times in this episode. And by making Jet into a divorced dad, by giving him connections outside of the like main cast, it allows them to tell a a sympathetic story about a dad. They can weave into the tenth episode big finale, and it's a it's it's a more traditional Hollywood ending kind like thing. And yeah, they subvert it. Yeah, they mess with it. But at the end of the day, it's like he, you have him showing up with Ayn as a gift to his daughter. You have him like sitting in a bodega so he can. T- hologram into his daughter's recital and the the thing about this is is that is that's them trying to adapt it for an audience that a never asked for something like that in there even if, even if they didn't know cowboy bebop 
I would bet if they saw the trailer, they're like, oh, I would love that if they, I would love it if there was a dad in here. And also hamstrings them from telling a story about a guy whose life went bad for him and he had nothing really to show for it except for knuckleheads to hang out on a ship and eat his food. It's different. It's a different feeling when, like, Spike and Jet part ways, but at the end of the day, Jet can still be like, hey, I want to be in, like, Allie's life more, or what, the, my daughter's life more kind of thing. The thing about Jet's character and the thing about all of these people's character is at the point you meet them in the show and part of what makes the show so emotionally affecting is they don't have connection to, to everyone else. They have connection to each other. Like, yeah, they might, like, you know toss the tip guy a little bit too 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 long or like any of this other stuff but the even that small expansion of the world and giving it like some like domestic drama lessens the effect of like oh jet like jet walked away from the ISP and actually this is why I really want to end it I think the one good thing that this show does is it does some expansion on the, like, core existence of Cowboy Bebop. Now, granted, it does it because it feels like it needs to, and it feels like it needs to treat its... It feels like it needs to treat its viewers like morons, which is, like, if you ever get... If you ever feel like you're being treated like a school child while watching something know that that thing does not have a great um, opinion of your of your intelligence. Even if that wasn't the um, original creator's intent, just know that, like, the thing you're watching does not think you're very smart or does not think you're smart enough to, like, be okay with not having all the answers. And some people need that shit, and some people love that shit. But... Many times, lots of the things that you just don't know are what keep you focused on the thing. So, like, but what I will say is that the thing that they did is they go they go back into vicious and in episode nine specifically they go back into vicious and um, Spike relationship. And they show you them working as hitmen for the syndicate. And they show you their relationship. And they show you that they were friends. And like, you know, they were like brothers. And that Julia really did rip them apart. But A, the character of Julia is not played the same way that Julia played in the anime. Either in the Japanese or the... English very clearly and she'd not played and the they have this core they have this like core thing in Spike's brain that like they in their idea of Spike they need to keep him as a good as a, as the good guy and the thing that you feel when you see Spike in the original show is that like he doesn't really necessarily care about being the good guy. I mean, the one of the funniest lines in the show is like, Jet, what are the three things I hate most in this life? And Jet's like, I don't know. He's like, I hate kids. They focus it on Ed. I hate animals. They focus it on I. And I hate rotten women. And they focus it on Faye. How have we collected all, f- all three of them on this ship? And it it kind of screams of this guy who's like, all I want to do is be left alone, practice Kung Fu, and like eat some sort of dead animal. <laughs> that would make his day the best. And like, he's not always necessarily the nicest person. 
But in this, they, like... The points at which they're being mean are, A, always aimed at... Are always aimed at, um... Jet and the, the things they do to like make that friendship feel real uh, feels real, but the but because they're doing that instead of having Spike realize he's in love with Julia and le and be like, listen, like I've been doing this for a long time, like. Up until literally right now, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave this. If it were just me and if I had never met you, it would be fine. I would still do this. They pay me fine. I get to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm part of a huge organization that will take care of me if I get old or die. Um, but I don't want you to live this life. And if you've seen the movie, if you've seen the Knocking on Heaven Door movie, you know that that's really Spike driving motivation for leaving the syndicate. Is he meets Julia and he, like, it's like his heart springs to life for him. And to just, to, to not offer that up, but to offer, not, not, not offer only that up, but to offer... Like, I really got to stop doing this. I want to stop doing this for years. And now I have a reason kind of thing. Doesn't have the same kind of weight. And doesn't place the same kind of weight on his and Julia's relationship ultimately. And and does this kind of like softening up of Spike as a character. That feels like something that like a producer would want to do. So that people don't hate him. Because they don't understand the core text of the character. And I understand that adaptations and like interpretations of characters are a thing. But making that big a change changes this version of Spike into a goofier, overall kinder, less like capable of being that malicious kind of character. And... If I had to, to, to leave it, to literally leave it, um, if I had to say that anything really bugged me about this live action adaptation, I would say that, like, we're still in the world where Hollywood got a Hollywood. I think that the most egregious mistakes this adaptation made were in... Trying to soften and shift things so it wasn't what it needed to be to make the story work. And I think that in its best moments, it added things or it, or it changed things so the nature of things changed so they felt more authentic. Like, um... They made it so instead of all being a bunch of brothers following the Ganymede Sea Rat Lady, it was a bunch of brothers and one sister. And the sister was the one who was just getting smacked around and being abused. And that that gave a different tone than it had in the anime that was interesting and unique. Or the or episode nine certainly, where they focused on the spike and vicious backstory and like you felt it felt like they were friends and that like they were real friends and like went everywhere together kind of thing and like I don't I don't think that this is a success but I think that it's a I think that's an honest dab that just wasn't like they didn't commit to the thrust when they were stabbing, if that makes any sense. And on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. And Thursday is stuff like this. I talk about a property or a show or a movie. Um, Sunday episodes are more metatextual. They're more about the 
industry, more about the fandom, more about like all that kind of stuff. And until sun until Sunday, I've been Alex. You've been this has been Lunchbox Radio. I'll talk to you then. Think about it, sweetheart. You know what the world is like? It's like a boiling pot with a soggy stew inside. Nothing in it stands out. It's all the same. One big, pulpy, sloshy puddle of goop. Yet there is something that's special. You see? That one ingredient that makes it a stew. And do you know what that is? The meat? That's what everyone says. The meat. But that same meat could be used for anything. Curry, goulash, same ingredients. It's the stew mix that makes it a stew. Stew mix is on aisle five. We have two I'm not looking out. for stew mix! Great, a wannabe preacher with a gun. Hey, Spike, you there? There's three of them. I'll go around the back. All right. Forget about the police showing up. I disconnected the silent alarm. See, I know your security system better than you do. You know why? Renji, just get the money! You see this logo? That's your security company. I used to work for those guys not long ago. Oh. They laid me off when they restructured, so now I'm a thief. Ain't that ironic? Uh-huh. Well, then laugh. <laughs> laugh a little more. <laughs> Let's have a big laugh. <laughs> Nothing to laugh about. Hey, take a hike, buddy. We're closed. Go somewhere else. Hey. Huh? Now you're gonna put some woolongs on this cash card. Max it out. Understand? Huh? Hey, what the hell you think you're doing? You are you deaf or what? Ugh. Yo! Headphone boy! Take him off! Hey! How much is this? Hey, punk! Come here! Spike! Yeah! Put my donut on their tab, would you? Huh? Hmm? Huh? Don't move! Excuse me, Jet. What? You said three, not four. Throw down your guns now! Disinformation is sometimes required for enemies and allies. <sighs> Don't pull that art of war crap on me. Drop them! And you, you take too long to take a shit. I am going to kill this old lady if you don't put down your guns! <sighs> don't you get it? I'm gonna splatter grandma! Well, that's a real shame. But we're not cops, and we're not from some charity organization. Sorry, lady, but we don't protect or serve. This is strictly business. What? Guess you'll just have to chalk it up to bad luck. <sighs> Cowboy scumbag. Wait a minute. I know you didn't mean that, Spike. Son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> you a cowboy. What did he mean? What are you? Just a humble bounty hunter, ma'am.